Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Megan and I were uh, on vacation. Uh, we just got back from our vacation about a week and a half ago. And I uh, just want to say thank you. Um, we, we get a, the chance to take a break and rest. And that's really due to your, um, your grace. And so thank you for allowing us to do that and, and to rest like that. It was a good vacation. We, um, one of the things that we did was we took a day trip up to Victoria, Canada. I'd been there years ago. Uh, so it was great to go back. It's, it's such a wonderful city. Uh, we went with Megan's parents, her in-laws, and um, one of the highlights of that trip actually was the, the hotel that we stayed in. Uh, it was one of the newer hotels and rooms, so it hadn't built a reputation yet. Um, it was, uh, you know, it's off-season in, in Victoria right now, so we got a pretty decent deal. Uh, as a matter of fact, her parents got, got to be on the 17th floor, the top floor of the hotel. So that was cool. Got a fancy little room there with a nice view like that. We stayed on the fifth floor. It was okay. It was good. Um, so we stayed there, and, and uh, the, the, the next morning, we woke up, Megan and I, and we went down to meet her parents in the lobby, and her dad had gone out early in the morning to get some coffee, and so we saw him there, and we waited a little bit for her mom, and you know, maybe she's putting on her makeup or whatever, and so, so uh, after a while, um, Megan and her dad were, well, you know, we need to use the bathroom, so we'll go up and check in on her. So I'm waiting, and they finally all come down, and, and uh, I see her mom come out of the elevator, and she's not happy. And so I, I, knowing that look on her face, I, I, I asked her, is there something the matter? And she said to me, Steve locked me on the balcony. Yeah. So she got to admire that view for about 30 minutes all by herself. You know, and it's muscle memory. We've all done that kind of thing, right? Where you just close the door and you immediately lock it just without thinking. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh, man. So it was a rough start for my mother-in-law for that day. And, and uh, you know, over the course of the day, she was kind of chewing on it a little bit, and, and my father-in-law was very embarrassed about it. And, uh, but, you know, later that day, Megan and I were, were walking behind them, and we just saw them kind of reach out their hands and hold, hold hands together. And we knew it was going to be all right. You know, we knew, we knew they'd patch things up. We've all done that, haven't we? We've done something like that. We're, we're with a loved one where we locked them on a balcony or whatever. You know, that, that happens. That's life. But the thing about that is over, over the course of our lives and the relationships that we have, we forgive. We, and if we're in a healthy relationship, we forgive often, right? Forgiveness is fundamental to relationship. If you want to be in a healthy relationship, you forgive. Well, this week we are uh, continuing our, our walk through the Lord's Prayer and uh, every week we've taken a, a petition from the Lord's Prayer, and we've looked at it in depth. And this week, we are in the part of the prayer that says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you might have a, a particular version of, of Scripture that may say something like, Forgive us our sins, or forgive us our trespasses, something like that. But debt is, is the most accurate way of interpreting what Jesus is saying here. Um, he uses, and I think he uses this word debt, very specifically, I think Jesus has, has great insight into human relationships and how we relate to one another because debt is, is a financial word. It's a transactional word. 
it helps describe exactly what happens between us because when someone wrongs you, it's almost like they take something from you and now they owe you something, right? We have this innate sense of justice in us when, when we are wrong that it must be balanced. Something, something transactional happens there. So that, that is a great word to describe um, what happens in relationships when, when someone is wronged and, and uh, when there has to be some sort of payback, right? It, even if it's just a, a, an apology. On the other hand, forgiveness. When we talk about forgiveness, a great way to understand forgiveness is to release someone from their debt. To release it. To say, you know, you are not any longer indebted to me. So, um, when we talk about, um, yes, so there's, there's an economy, as we talk about relationship, that, that, that goes on here, right? There's, there's sort of a trading and a, and a receiving, and we can call it an economy, because there's this kind of financial aspect to it, um, that, that Jesus is pulling out with this word, debt. But this isn't an economy that happens just between you and me. Uh, this is an economy that includes God in it, Right? Because what Jesus says is, forgive us our debts, talking to the Father, as we forgive our debtors, one another. And even later in, in the passage in, in, um, in Matthew 6, when he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, Jesus continues to make commentary about the prayer. And what does he say in, in his commentary in Matthew 6? In verse 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, when you read this, maybe uh, you're like me and you think, ooh, this is kind of scary. Is my salvation at risk if I don't forgive? I think there's actually something much more fundamental going on here than our salvation. Because what's at risk is our relationship with our Father. Because what he's saying is, if you want to be in relationship with me, how are, you, how are you in relationship with the Father? By how we treat one another. If you want to be in relationship with me, in the same way that I am in relationship with you, then you must forgive one another. So in the economy of relationships is also this relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father. It is no small thing as I just mentioned, that this is the only commentary that Jesus makes about the prayer. Because I believe that forgiveness, and actually the heart of our Father, is, is the, the core of the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of the axle on which all the rest of the prayer revolves around. When we understand God's grace and the way that He forgives us, we understand why there is this prayer in the first place. Why do we even say, Our Father? Because of God's grace that he would adopt us. Why do we pray for his will to be done? Because we know that he is gracious. Why do we ask for daily bread? Because of the grace of our Father. So when we pray for him to forgive us and, to, to, and then say that we will forgive others, and we are recognizing God's grace and his forgiveness and recognizing that that is the beating heart of this prayer and indeed the beating heart of our Father. So how do we understand forgiveness? I think the best way to understand forgiveness is through a story. 
And Jesus told some of the best and well-known stories we've ever had. Jesus was excellent at telling stories that illustrated spiritual truths. And there's a story in Matthew 18 that we're going to read today. So, turn your Bibles to Matthew 18. A little bit of a, of, of a context here. Um, our story is in verse 21, but Jesus uh, does a little bit of prefacing in verse 15. He talks about um, conflict and how to deal with conflict in community. And he gives these, this advice that if, if your brother sins against you, he says, if your brother sins against you, first go to him one-on-one and then take someone with you if that doesn't work and then bring the whole church before, before him. And uh, the goal here is reconciliation. Jesus is telling us how to reconcile with our brother and to bring them to repentance. And so that's the, that's the, the kind of thing here. By the way, this is some of the best advice on conflict that we've ever gotten, and we rarely ever use it. If you want to learn about conflict, study this passage. So he says, if your brother sins against you, and then Peter comes back, and he says, hey, Jesus, about that if your brother sins against you thing, and then we begin our story. So let's read in verse 21. Then Peter, Peter came up to him, And said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, Pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father, help us to understand this story. Help us to understand your wisdom. Help us to understand what it means to live in light of your gracious forgiveness. We ask in your name. Amen. So there's a a couple things I want to draw out from this passage before we uh, really get to understand it. Um, The first thing is understanding Jewish culture at the time. One of the things that was understood amongst that culture was that um, forgiving, uh, 
Three times was a great amount of times to forgive someone. And they actually based this on some of the scriptures in the Old Testament that if, if someone asked you to forgive them, three times was a good cutoff. After that, whatever. So Peter, when he comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, how about seven times? You, you get the sense that he's sort of patting himself on the back for this. Isn't this generous, Jesus, that I could forgive seven times? And Jesus sort of puts this on his head. He says, you know what, Peter, I think you got the wrong idea here. Stop drawing lines in the sand and think of forgiveness as an infinite resource. Forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive over and over. Seventy times seven really is not the number that matters. It's, it's just as many times as necessary. So that's Jesus' preface to the story. And then he says, and then, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this king. And he begins to tell this story. And so it's a story about this king. He's, he's, he's settling accounts in his own household with his own servants. He's cleaning house. And uh, not surprisingly, one of the first guys he begins to clean house with and settle these accounts with is this guy who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, talent, um, that's kind of an abstract thing, right? Who knows what a talent is nowadays? But um, a way to understand the talents is to think about that culture at the time is, is, was uh, labor-oriented, right, agrarian. And so they, they measured, in some sense, their currency by the, the amount of work was given. So a denarii was one day's wage. If you did a day's wage, you would get a denarii. Um, a talent was worth 20 years of work. 20 years, just one talent. And this guy owed 10,000 talents. 10,000. So that was 200,000 years of labor. That's a ridiculous amount of money. Maybe a modern equivalent would be uh, something equivalent to one trillion dollars. One trillion dollars. How do you spend a trillion dollars? I mean, the guy must have been buying aircraft carriers for his friends or something. How do you do that? And, I mean, that's that's the economy of some countries. And to imagine the cost that that was incurring to this king. It was not uncommon in that day to hear of, of someone who was in power settling a debt by selling a family into indentured servitude. That was normal. It wouldn't have been a surprise to Jesus' listeners to, to hear him say that the master was going to do that. But what was a surprise was how the master responded. So this servant, he gets on his knees and he says, Please, give me mercy. I will pay you back. Which is utterly ridiculous. That would be like paying off the U.S. national debt. It's not going to happen. But he says, I'll pay you back. And the master has pity on him. He has compassion on him. And he says, you know what? That one trillion dollars you owed me? Forget about it. Hard to believe, isn't it? He would just say, forget that. You're okay. I have pity on you. I have compassion on you. You don't have to pay me back anything. And the story continues. That's the first part of the story. And then that servant goes out and he finds some guy, some poor sap, who owes him a hundred denarii, hundred days of wages, right? And so he goes to him and he, and he finds him and he begins to strangle him. And you can just imagine how angry he must have been. You know, flecks of spittle flying off his, his lips and his face turning red. 
And he's just strangling him. And he says, give me my thousand bucks back. And we're meant to, to laugh at the absurdity of this. That he would walk out of the throne room of the king after being forgiven a trillion dollars of debt and then be strangling this guy for a thousand bucks. How could he forget? It's absurd. Well, word gets out. People begin you know, posting on Facebook and outrage over this atrocity. And the word gets back to the king and he summons the servant back and he says, what were you thinking? Shouldn't you have had the same mercy that I had for you on this guy? So, you know, the, the, Jesus often tells stories with a twist. Um, and the twist that we would understand of this story is that, that the servant would go out and do this, right? That's what we're shocked at, that, the, that this servant, the wicked servant as the master calls him, would, would go out and turn around after receiving such mercy and do this. But I wonder if the twist of this story is actually that you and I are this wicked servant. You and I are the wicked servant. You might be saying, well, I have nothing in common with this guy. I wouldn't do that. I'm going to ask you, on any given day, how often do you think about the debt that your father has forgiven you? On any given week, maybe even ever. And if your answer is not at all, then you have more in common with this guy than you think. And you might say, well, I don't know that I owe God anything. But the fact is, is if you exist, you owe him everything. Our father did not have to create any of us, but he did. Not because he needed to, because he wanted to. And every single one of us is precious to him. A trillion dollar precious. And so when we are born, we begin life with a trillion dollar debt. And what do we do? Immediately, even as children, as babies, as I well know, we begin to do things our way. We begin life selfish. And we reject God. And that debt that we owe him begins to incur more and more as we reject God over and over and over and turn away from his good grace. And it gets worse because not only do we reject God one-to-one, but we do mean things to the people he loves. We lock them on balconies. <laughs> and worse, you know, we, we lie to people. We cheat them. We say mean things to them. And these people are precious in God's sight. So and whenever we sin or wrong someone, we are incurring debt in God's eyes. And the deep, dark secret of our humanity is deep down inside, we would rather that God did not exist. We would rather that he was not in charge and that we were. And far worse than locking God on a balcony is we would push him off the roof. Deep down inside, we are all murderers. And the hands that hammered the nails into the cross were yours and mine. How great is the debt that we owe our Father? 
We owe him so much. And yet, Jesus on the cross, knowing our debt, says to the Father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even on the cross, Jesus' forgiveness is so great. That is the good news of the gospel that we can celebrate with one another and say the good news, no matter how big your debt, your trillion, trillion, trillion dollar debt, God's forgiveness is so much bigger. His forgiveness is so much greater. So that if we, like the prodigal son, would turn from our pig slop and go back home, the Father is waiting for us and will run to us with open arms, ready to forgive us. Man, that is good news. I tried thinking of what the story of of this wicked servant would look like if he had grasped and truly understood walking out of this throne room how much his king had forgiven him. What would that have looked like? And the closest thing I could think of was, was actually Ebenezer Scrooge in The Christmas Carol. If you've seen that movie or read the book, you know that scene at the very end after he's had this long extended nightmare and realized that he is destined to a horrible, lonely death. He wakes up and he's giddy. He's exuberant. He's excited about a new lease on life. And he begins to spread good cheer. He begins to spread the things that are his because he knows he's, been, he's received grace. What a wonderful picture for us of what it means to live in the light of the radical grace, the radical forgiveness of our Father. And the truth is, most of us are pre-Christmas Ebenezer Scrooge. Most of us tend to be needy and graspy. You know, that's why Jesus had to tell us the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. He had to tell us that because our tendency is to do to others what we want to do to them and not have that done to ourselves. That's what we prefer. We want what is ours. We want what is owed to us. We want what, that back. And mercy is hard. Mercy is difficult for us. And mercy is hard because it costs us. Mercy has a high price. I want to think about that for a little bit. We are so used to, as human beings, with an economy, to use that word, of scarcity. We're used to having limited resources. There's only so much love to go around. Only so much time, so much money, etc., etc. So when it comes to mercy, we say, oh, I only have so much grace to give. But we serve a God who has infinite resources, infinite love, infinite forgiveness. How can hate stand in the face of that kind of love? What cannot be repaid with that kind of love? And if only in the story of the wicked servant, instead of walking out and finding who owed him, that servant had realized, my master gave me mercy you know what, maybe he can provide for my needs too. Maybe I can rely on his goodwill to make up for what I lack. Maybe he could have turned right around, right back into that throne room and got back on his knees and said, Master, 
I have needs. And relied on the good graces of that good king. If only we would have that vision in ourselves of God's good grace for us too. You know, the, the ironic thing is, as we talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness, the ironic thing is for most of us, the people that we hold grudges against are the people that we love. And it's easy to understand it's because people that we love are the ones who are able to hurt us the most. That's certainly true for me. Part of my story is wrestling um, in my early adulthood with an understanding that um, my childhood had lacked things, that things that I recognized as I was around other families that I lacked. You know, for, for, on one hand, my dad died when I was 11, so I didn't grow up as a teenager with, with a father. And on the other hand, my mom simply was not present as a mother to me. The nurturing that I could have expected wasn't available to me. My mom is still with me even now, and I, I wrestled with that. Um, 2006, about to get married to Megan, and we, uh, you know, we were getting ready to get married, and Megan pointed out something to me that I'd never really realized before. She, she noticed that when I would talk to my mom on the phone, my whole body would tense up. My, my shoulders would get rigid. My face, my countenance would change. My voice would pitch up. I would get angry. And often as not, when I talked with my mom, I would just end up yelling at her on the phone. And, and Megan pointed this out to me. And I realized that in the end, I, I was harboring a lot of anger. To put it bluntly, I hated my mother. I hated her. And it just came out physically when I talked to her. They've done research on this. They found that people who harbor unforgiveness, it actually manifests in your body. Your stress levels rise and cortisol, a hormone in your body, rises. And it actually produces sickness in people. You can get sick by, being, by harboring unforgiveness. And conversely, people have been cured by forgiving cancer. I mean, there's amazing stories about it. And that's exactly what was happening in me. I was harboring unforgiveness and it was physically manifesting itself in me. And on the eve of my marriage, I knew I could not carry that into my marriage. I knew that that unforgiveness would eat me up and it would affect my relationship with my wife. So I, I knew I needed to deal with it. So I asked some people to pray for me. And in that prayer, after they prayed for me, one of them said, you know, I think what God is telling you to do is not to forgive your mother necessarily, but ask her for forgiveness Ask her for forgiveness. Oh, man. I didn't know if I could do that. I really didn't know. It was hard for me to imagine even just saying the words, Mom, will you forgive me? I knew I wanted to do this in person. I didn't want to do it over the phone. And so uh, my mom was coming into town, and I waited, and I waited, and I prayed. And uh, emotionally, I was wrestling with this. And the day came, and I can remember this. Uh, we sat down in the house that Megan and I were going to move in, in the kitchen. And I sat down, and we had a conversation, and eventually I got around to it. And I said, Mom, I need to say this to you. Um, I've, there are some things in my childhood that I wish that you had given to me. And um, I feel like you didn't, but I've been harboring anger. And I've been angry at you, and I've even hated you for that. And I want to ask you to forgive me. 
And it was, it was kind of anticlimactic because after all that struggle, it just came out. It just came out. There was no emotion that I felt necessarily. And for her part, she was kind of confused. She didn't necessarily know what was going on, but she gave me forgiveness. And that was enough for me to, to release it, to release that debt that she owed me and just let it go. And I can praise God that that tension that I felt, that, that physical manifestation of anger is gone. I don't feel that anymore. I've released it. And I think that's benefited my marriage. But I needed to have a larger view of God's grace, and I needed to reach up for him and say, God, give me the love and the ability to say these words because I don't have it. I don't have it. I am, I am limited, but you are not. And he was gracious enough to give me the words to say and to release that debt and to forgive her, even though I was the one who was asking for forgiveness. You know, the end of this parable, it, it seems kind of harsh that the, the master, after his mercy, would toss him in jail and make him repay the debt after all. But in, in, in some reflection, it, it's obvious that a king, our father, who is so compassionate and mercy, merciful, cannot live with people who are devoid of that compassion and mercy. So he calls his children to have the same compassion and mercy that he does. But he doesn't just leave us to try and pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and find that. He gives us that love. He gives us what we need to have that mercy and compassion. So when we come to this part of the Lord's Prayer and we say, forgive us our debts, we look first to his mercy. We look first to his grace. You'll notice that in in the large part of what I've said, I have not dwelled on our need to forgive. I have dwelled on our need to understand God's forgiveness. That's where we begin. And then from a lot of us, when we get to that part of the Lord's Prayer that calls for us to say, as we forgive our debtors, it, it catches in our throat, doesn't it? And we can't really say the words honestly because maybe we haven't done that. In a few minutes, uh, I want to invite our prayer team up and I want to give many of you the opportunity to ask for prayer in the same way that I did, that I needed resources from my father to do that. I'm sure you do too. And so the prayer team will come up and, and we'll pray for you for that. Before we do that, though, I want to lead us in a prayer. And as I pray, you say the words that I say. This is a prayer that any of us can pray. So pray this along with me. Father, thank you for your lavish grace. Thank you for forgiving us of all our debts. Thank you that you would call us sons and daughters. Thank you that you give us whatever we need. Help us to become like you. Give us love that overflows. 
Help us to die to ourselves so that others may find your life. Help us to forgive. Give us your spirit so that your life and love would live inside of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.